0: Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change podcast. I'm your host Jeff Bloomfield. And whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change podcast. I'm your host Jeff Bloomfield. Uh, today's guest is Mr. Johnny Serpilla, and if you don't know the name, you're going to want to know the name more after this episode. Uh, Johnny is just an exceptional human being, and let me just tell you a little bit about his background. He's a legend in the RV industry, and he sold his family business and became a part of a multi, was it, was it multi-billion dollar in camp, Camping World, yes. right, Johnny? Did I get that part right? Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about that. His current work in encourage LLC is something we're going to get into a lot as well. Uh, He's got a new book out and this is going to be one you're definitely going to want to read. And especially after you hear some of his story today, it's called life is hard, but I'll be okay. The power of hope emerging through pain and learning to live with gratitude. He's a member of a lot of boards as a board of directors, as according to one you probably know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he speaks all over the, the world, really, and uh, maybe not as much as before COVID, but uh, to businesses, communities, universities. And he talks a lot about how to manage your thoughts, how to lead yourself, how to make productive choices, how to take challenges in your life and look at them as opportunities for reflection and growth. And, and just in a little bit of time that I've gotten to know Uh, Johnny, I'm excited for this interview because I feel like I just need to sit here and take notes uh, on how he can help me. So, Johnny, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm excited to get into your story.
1: Jeff, it's an honor for me to be here. I'm a fan of your show. You're doing great work out there that's meaningful. It's interesting. The people that you've had on, um, I I just love it. So, Jason Hankel, I I have a brain crush on that guy. I think he is just so (laughs) incredible. He's so smart. He's so gifted with words and the way he uses them. Dr. Sereni Pillay, uh, again, just his background, just you're making a difference in sharing important information and bringing on guests that I'm just honored to be one of them. So thank you.
0: Well, your story is going to make a big addition to, to our pantheon of great guests. I can promise the audience that. So, you know, I warned you ahead of time, Johnny. The first question everybody gets is, is the audience, before they really care about what you have to share with them, they got to get to know you a little bit. We got we to gotta trust you. And the only way to really do that personally is to learn a little bit about your, your backstory. So tell us a little about your origin story and why you do what you do, why you became who you became. Give us a little bit of that.
1: All right, Jeff, I'd, I'd be honored to. So first, you know, I I had it easy growing up. I was raised by really loving, committed parents. I mean... They had high expectations for my sisters and me. Uh, They were really, really good to us, exceptionally good to us, but they expected a lot back from us. And, you know, really in terms of what they expected was, you know, honoring our name, um, having integrity, an incredible work value, um, a work ethic, you know, their expectations back of what we gave them were far more than anything they could ever give us materially. And so we never really felt spoiled as kids, because we knew that they expected back more from us than what they could give us, and so I really learned in that process what it felt like to honor my parents and make them proud, and I love doing that. And you know, for me, you know, life was really easy until it wasn't. We could talk about that a little bit today, um, but I learned and really saw the value of the seeds that my parents planted in us um, for survival, and you know, they gave us great wisdom that really helped us understand that other people could always have it worse. And what we're going through, we can go through it. We can deal with it. Other people have it worse. And, you know, that I always found comfort in that. I I never took on the why me theory because of the way I was raised. And that when my life was falling apart, uh, as we'll talk about you know, it was, I guess this was my turn and, and, and that was okay. And my wife accepted that as well. So um, I've written a book that really uses that story uh, to demonstrate how resilience can be kind of created in the darkness. And I think that we need to use our minds that way and use the resources around us um, rather than self-medicating um, and, and, and negative uh, pathways. And so just to survive wanted to do better than survival, wanted to thrive. And, you know, fully opening up, I mean, I'm a guy um, who struggled to find peace with my own thoughts, for sure. Uh, When life was hard, I guess even sometimes you could say when life was easy, I'd still wonder like, why is it so easy for me? Why am I blessed this way? So, you know, once it got hard, I I realized, okay, now it's my turn. But I just graciously accepted that at the time, that this was my turn. And uh, but beyond that, um, I'm I'm an impatient guy. I'm an anxious guy. Uh, I'm a deeply feeling guy. Probably being a full-blooded Italian contributes a little bit to that. But I like to use all of those. My anxiety, I want to use all of it. All of those traits that maybe some people see as negatives, I'm going to use them for me to help me to help others. And, and with that, I feel like I'm, using the gifts God gave me and, and some of the, some of the challenges as well. And finally, you know, beyond all of that, I'm, uh, been married to my college sweetheart for 31 years. Um, I'm a family guy first and foremost, that's really how I define my success and my happiness. Uh, I was raised that way. Uh, love that thinking. And, and I am blown away with the family that I have today. It's better than I even dreamed that it would be. And so, um, I see myself first and foremost as a dad and husband.
0: That's great. Well, I think what I wanna dive into next with you is, uh, because I think the audience is gonna love hearing about this because not, you know, fortunately nobody's gone through any difficult times in the last two years. So everybody's kind of riding high right now. It's not, everything's super easy. For everyone, right? I mean, you never hear anybody complain about anything anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> obviously, that's not the case. So you, you just said something about, you know, the family you have today and, the, and, the, and the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dream that you always had to have this family um, and you're so grateful for that family, but it didn't start out that way. Uh, and if, if you wouldn't mind, can you take us back a little bit and tell us a little bit of that journey with you and your wife went through? Because I think it's going to really, it's going to really help people see where you're going to take us, not only in this book, but from this book and in this episode in a way that will help them overcome just about anything. So t- take us back to that early part of the family that maybe wasn't what you were hoping for or expecting.
1: That's right. Um, I'd be happy to. So the book is really uh, written to prove the value of resilience, right? And, and our story is is truly just, it's our truth, but it's our story that it shows the value of resilience that can apply to any situation. So for us, our struggle uh, was infertility and, and being able to have children. And it, that lasted a number of years. Um, you know, we thought that was the worst of it. Um, you know, we were just gonna take us longer to get pregnant than, than other couples. And, and a little bit, the, the backdrop to that is, you know, our careers were going extremely well. My wife was killing it in the pharmace- pharmaceutical industry. Uh, she was making more money than I was. I was super proud of her. Um, you know, I was kind of the rock star uh, academic in, in college, and she had a little bit more fun in college than I did. We met the last month of college, um, and uh, I, I knew I found my soulmate, and so I thought I could really kind of show her how it's done to be uh, professional, and she gets a job making way more than me, and and I loved it. I was proud of her. And so we lived off of what I made.
0: EQ tends to trump IQ quite often in life. Totally. (laughs) Jeff, without a doubt. And and my wife
1: certainly has that. She's got a good IQ too, though. Um, and, uh, And so I was just proud of her for what she was doing. And so people thought that we were just focused on our careers and we were that couple. And nothing wrong with being that couple. We were focused on our careers, but we were ready for a family. And because we set the path of you know, you have a goal, you go after it, you reach that goal, you set a new goal. Uh, Infertility was particularly frustrating to us. As I said earlier, my anxiety, right, didn't work well in those infertility years of not understanding why we couldn't achieve what most other couples oftentimes achieve on accident. Um, And with great intentionality, uh, we were not good at that. And so uh, the infertility um we followed that path and um went to the furthest medical extreme that we could go with in vitro, struggled with that um on some faith components because we were really going down a path of altering conception um and and we struggled with that. but after you know doing some praying about it, we thought that you know God knows our heart and we're gonna do this later it turned out to be pretty complicated. but from that, um you know we we did, uh, end up getting pregnant. Uh, we were blessed with triplets and this is all told, you know, more thoroughly in the book, but, um, Nicholas, Mary, and Peter passed away and, uh, we were shattered and broken and we had to turn to other paths to build our family and adoption was a piece of that and, um, more complicated pregnancies, very life-threatening for my wife. Um, her life was at risk a number of times and, uh, ultimately at the end, a moral dilemma of how to deal with um, frozen embryos and that were far um, safer in a freezer than in my wife, because of what the doctors had revealed and we understood about my wife's health condition, Um, but that was not something that we could live with. Uh, Leaving them there and certainly destroying them wasn't an option. And um, this was in the days a little bit before surrogacy um, or surrogacy was just coming about. So we had some real challenges.
0: Wow. Um, so t- and I know you get into this in the book a lot more. Uh, you, ha- you have the triplets and you know, you're already struggling. To, you could almost ask the why me before you even got pregnant, right? Why Why us? Why, why can't we get pregnant like everybody else? Why is this such a difficult thing? You figure out a little bit of a path. You go through it. You're like, okay, we've solved that problem. Now we're pregnant. We've got triplets. And then they don't make it. And And that... Many folks who go through something similar to that that have that level of grief in that moment. Uh, take me back a little bit to your and your wife's relationship during that time. Uh, how big of a struggle was that? Just the two of you? Like, because it puts so much pressure because each of you're experiencing it through such a different personalized lens. What was, what, how did you guys get through that? Because it can really it can wreck a marriage, right? When you go through that kind of, of trauma.
1: It's right. I believe more than half of marriages fail after the death of a child. And we were blessed. Um, There's a lot of blessings that came out of our struggles. Um, And and the book really talks about that. But we were blessed to grieve together. And we, uh, the night before the funeral, a couple that we were acquaintances with, didn't know well, actually showed up at our door unannounced um, and who had lost a child and, and wanted to talk to us as quickly as they could. And they came over the night before the funeral. They, they advised us to grieve together, not grieve apart. And they just gave us really strong words of wisdom from their own experience. And my wife and I soaked that in uh, at that moment, Jeff, and and we drew closer together from that. And so we've had an incredible marriage uh, in terms of our relationship. My wife is just kind. She's, happy. She's thoughtful. She's hardworking. She's just an amazing woman. And so, and, and I could be a little bit of a pain with my, ang- my anxiety, my driving nature, pushing. And Susan just gets me and understands me and, and balances me and calms me. So, you know, I said, you know, her stability became mine. My intensity became hers because we were in the fight of our lives. And that intensity was needed in the grieving process. Um, we, we probably did spend a little too much time at the cemetery in reflection um, and just to be physically close to Nicholas, Mary, and Peter. But we made a conscious effort that we were going to stay together, we were going to grieve together, and we were going to get help. And we were already seeing an amazing psychologist, Dr. Barbara Fordyce, uh, who writes the afterword of the book, and she, she provides all the psychological principles of cognitive restructuring that she worked with us on 27 years ago, that we owe so much to Barb. Um, she's a dear friend. She's a business partner of mine. We do a lot of public speaking together. And she saved us um, by the thoughtful wisdom that she shared. And so we were committed to each other. We were committed to um, honoring Nicholas, Mary, and Peter. And we couldn't do that in the frame of minds that we had. And so our relationship uh, just was further cemented. and. The times when she was down and I was okay, I picked her up. And the times that I couldn't get out of bed, she was there telling me that we can do this and we can do it together. So uh, we never turned on each other and we turned to each other. And, and that was the difference.
0: Wow. And, and you maybe didn't do it intuitively. Uh, you did it instinctively um, or intentionally. You maybe didn't do it intentionally, but she did it intuitively because you had a series of things. The thing that struck me as you were talking, Johnny, is. Don't ever those listening don't ever discount that feeling that people want to be isolated when they have a situation. They they tend to isolate, and they think that's the way to get through grief, or they think that's the way to get through a situation. It Doesn't even have to be a, a trauma like this. And that couple that came to you and knocked on the door, that was that was a big risk for them, right? Because they had, they were going to be vulnerable in order because they were passionate to help somebody else with their story through their sto- through the story they were experiencing. So whoever's listening to that probably need to hear that today is you might be with withholding the very thing that a neighbor needs and that the support because of your journey. And I think that 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 struck me as the boldness they had to go to you and say, hey, we've been there. Let's 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 help let's help you. And you guys being willing to willing to receive that help is huge.
1: Exactly. I've learned so much from them from that gesture. That knock on the door changed me. I'm an outgoing, affectionate person by nature. Uh, My wife is as well, but after that, I realized that I need to step into other people's uncomfortableness at times and comfortably step into that um, to show the hand, extend the helping hand, uh, and to be there for somebody. And what we found, um, and everyone's different, but most people that I've talked to who have lost a child, what we found is we wanted our kids Honored and acknowledged, and there is something different with infant death versus losing a ten or twenty-year-old or forty-year-old child. We lost—we didn't lose much of a past because they only lived a short time, but we lost our whole future, and and didn't have the blessing of five years with them or ten years with them. I I, I can only imagine how much harder it would have been to lose them later. Um but we also didn't have the blessing of that joy in that time, and so we made their lives through again cognitive restructuring. We made their lives a blessing in our minds because that's all it could be and uh Barb Fordyce, Dr. Fordyce shared with us theories that changed us, and as she said to me when I refused to let them go, she told me, well, Johnny, you can. Hold on to them tightly. You don't have to let them go, but you do need to let go of the dreams that you had for them in this life because those will never be. And so she gave me the opportunity to continue to be their dad and to hold on to them and to talk about them and talk about them openly. And, but accept that I'm not going to be throwing, you know, a football with my sons and, and, you know, talking with my daughter about teaching her tennis or uh, anything academically, that the, all those things that we do with our kids, I wasn't gonna have that with Nicholas, Mary and Peter, but that doesn't mean that what I had in the time that they lived wasn't meaningful and it can be enough. We always want more, but how about celebrating what we do have? And so for us, we, we found that that was a necessity. And when we thought that way, we were grateful that we got to be their parents. Um, Even if it was, you know, so brief in time, in the scope of life, um, it doesn't mean in the scope of significance that it wasn't meaningful.
0: Wow. So we better write that down. (laughs) That was pretty powerful what you just said. Um, So as you guys kind of took this journey to the next step, when was it where you kind of had that realization? I know that obviously there were some health potential health scares or risk for your wife and you decide to take up the, uh, the path of adoption, like how, how long it transpired through that time period or was it pretty quickly after you kind of started making some of these, um, you know, mental reframings and, and new, new constructs of the brain until you realized, Hey, there's another path here. We're going to take it. What'd that look like?
1: Again, my impatience as I owned up earlier, um, and, and maybe a little my ins- insensitivity as a man, um, you know, we we pushed ahead uh fairly quickly as soon as the doctors told us we were able to. Um and and again, I'll save the details for the reader uh for the book, but um following an, a, a later miscarriage that happened, um, there was then uh complications that happened to my wife surgically. Um it was leaving the hospital that day um, that I called an adoption agency. And so again, sensitivity Man, chip you may are have been
0: missing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um it You know, I'm I'm proud of it today because the way it worked out. Um, But I'm I've I've told my wife so many times that, you know, God bless her for dealing with me. And again, I said to her, honey, I don't want you don't have to do anything. Um, I'm going to go work on this. You heal. Um, Let let me bring you a baby and um, let me do all the paperwork. I'll handle the social workers. I'll, I'll let me do all of it, and the adoption agency, and you sit back. Well, that's probably not a one man job. Um, yeah, usually and it's not. A, yeah, it's a one couple job. Uh, but but uh, we were blessed, um, and I'm, you know, fortunate. It worked out the way it did because um, about six weeks after uh, that process started, uh, we were holding our son that we adopted. That's, so
0: that's, that's tremendous.
1: It, it it did work out. My impatience and insensitivity uh, persevered, um, but uh, not without sometimes of my wife probably rolling her eyes and saying, "Johnny, give me a break here."
0: Um, well, you're you're a goal-oriented man, right? So you set a goal, and why wait?
1: That's right. <laughs> Go that's right.
0: And, and so we're gonna I, we're not even scratching the surface yet on all, all all your brilliance as an entrepreneur and as a leader. We're gonna get into some of that in a, in a second but I want to kind of put a bow on this so the audience can kind of, kind of breathe a little bit of a, right now, everyone's still kind of holding their breath at this. Uh, they're all anxious with you on this. So, so you, you get to adopt your son, Beau. Um, and then I know, I, I know you have three healthy children now. So tell us a little bit how this thing is, uh, how this evolved. And then everybody can read the rest of the details in the book.
1: All right. Sounds good. Well um, then it was um, God's planning there because we had two accidental uh, surprise pregnancies in 19 months, um, after uh, being advised that uh, Susan could never be pregnant again and it would be extremely dangerous. And they were very difficult pregnancies. Um, five and a half months in bed uh, for our daughter Bella, and um, and then when Bella was about 10 months old, uh, we had another surprise pregnancy, and that's our son Stone. Um, both born uh, pretty prematurely, um, but. Um, all kids today, at 22, 24, and 26 years old, are doing well.
0: How about that? Wow, um, that's that's quite a story. And I know you unpack it really well in the book. And I think um, people are going to get a lot out of that. That's not the only thing that you write about in the book, right? That's almost the foundation to your philosophy on how to handle resilience in in any area of your life. So it isn't just about some of these things that happen that are traumatic, but you start to think about as human beings. You know, we're faced with every day with something small or great that requires some degree of resilience and, and reframing and, and mental fortitude and, and mental toughness. So tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book, other than to get the, your story out there, how you wrapped these principles around your story, and then what did you learn about those principles that others can apply today?
1: So first of all, I'm, I'm fascinated by resilient people. I always have been, um, people like my dad, who came from extremely humble immigrant beginning, um, and he just bounced back and, and, and adapted his way to success in life, in faith, in family, in his business. Uh, he fought through terrible uh, childhood stuttering. Um, he had, was born with a, a very deformed left arm that had very limited utility, and he had a very limited education, a machine shop, a high school degree, Uh, but he was disciplined to make good choices. And uh, I get really jacked and excited when I think about, um, you know, my dad's theory on, he was so passionate about making good choices and hated making mistakes. Um, My mom, a perfectionist, and so who makes few mistakes and who works so hard and is so kind and so giving. And I, I think that, you know, being raised that way of wanting to do the right thing and feeling the pressure to do the right thing. Perfectionism is not a good thing, um, but some good things can come from it. Um, you know, you can achieve what you want to achieve at times, but you could be really, really hard on yourself. So I'm not a fan of perfectionism, um, but I, I will say a, a guilty pleasure is in the time of being hyper-focused and and wanting the perfect outcome, oftentimes you can make that happen or a near perfect outcome or a really good outcome. And so, you know, for me, um, getting to the point of the book was understanding resilience. I do a lot of public speaking and, you know, I was approached by, uh, I was talking about 400 college seniors and one of them asked me what I wish I knew when I was sitting in their seat. And God really put the answer on my heart quickly and it, it hit me to say, I wish I knew that life would will be hard, but I'll be okay, which became the title of my book. And I said that, Jeff, and I thought about it for a moment thinking like, oh my gosh, that sounds probably so discouraging to a college graduating <laughs> senior. Like, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing to this kid um, in this audience? But I felt it was truth. And I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I think you know we're getting out of college and the sky's the limit we just life is going to be an upward trajectory of one blessing after the next and we're going to keep working hard and good things are going to keep happening and in many cases that's true. but life's going to happen and and life is going to be hard and you know was I prepared for it? in many ways, I was as prepared as I could be because again the way that I was raised, but I felt that as I looked at the incredible amount of blessings that came in the darkest times that shaped the man that I am today, the business leader that I became when I saw, when I was falling apart, um, the kindness extended to me by others, and it allowed me to put a mirror up against myself to say, am I that kind? And do I care that much? When I saw someone's reaction to our story, you know, so many times I think like what I feel is deeply. And... While I thought my answer to that is yes, then I'd question, would I be vulnerable enough to share that and express that? And then I thought, well, maybe I'd try to suppress it a little bit, or maybe I wouldn't wanna make an uncomfortable scene or any of those things. And and so really through all of it, I just learned more about who I needed to be as a man, a father, a husband, a leader, and that good was gonna come out of this and resilience Is was was going to be the focus, Um, and that's really where I wanted to be. And you know, I I felt that that was important in ways to deal with my own anxiety as well. That I I have to face these things, and I can't just worry about them and kind of crawl crawl up in a ball. So I'm going to face them head on.
0: All right, so let's get practical for a minute because you've had an opportunity to 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 start businesses, grow businesses. You've had thousands upon thousands of people reporting into you through you. It's at different points in your career. And you make it sound so simple to reframe your thoughts for good uh, and, you know, reframing the concepts so the thoughts are good and looking at them as an opportunity. Um, How do we do that? Like, give me a couple of of hows.
1: I will. And, uh, And that's a deep question. And it's a meaningful question. So thank you for asking that. You know, psychologists define resilience as the process of adapting well. Right? in the face of adversity or trauma or tragedy or threats, um, any source of stress, Right, that's where psychologists define resilience of adapting well in that. So how do you adapt well? Right. I mean, what is it that when we're all handed a situation, um, we're dealt our cards and they are rough hand that we're dealt, we're playing a game of poker and it's a rough hand. Um, yeah. You know, do you fold uh, or or do you keep playing out that hand? And so you know when you work with cognitive restructuring, it is number one um, a very conscious choice to say I'm going to face this. I'm going to understand this. I'm going to understand how I feel, and I'm going to understand how I want to come out of this. And so it's it's the opposite, Jeff, of pulling back in and self-medicating with unhealthy choices, right? Which is whether it's turning to alcohol or drugs or just locking yourself in a room and shutting down. So really what you want to do is start by challenging your thinking, right? Challenge your thinking and asking yourself questions and be willing to be really honest with yourself. And it's sometimes we lie to ourselves. And so you got to be honest and, and you ask all right, this thought that I'm having, is it realistic? Whether the thought is, I can't move on because I've buried our babies and it feels like life is ending. Is that a realistic thought? So you challenge yourself with that. And at moments, my answer might've been, no, it's not realistic to move on. I can't, I shouldn't. My guilt that I feel that I'm alive and my kids aren't, It doesn't feel natural, that's not the natural natural order of death and birth, right? it it shouldn't be that way. But then you start to have other thoughts and can that be realistic? Well, Well, could I, could my wife and I grab each other's hands and say, we're gonna fight for happiness? Is that realistic? Right, so we start asking those questions. You ask yourself a question, am I basing my thoughts on facts or feelings? And If they are feelings, then I can change those feelings. I can't move on. Yeah, I can. That's not a fact that I can't move on. It's a feeling that I have that I can't move on. It's a feeling that I have that I can't get out of bed today. Um, But it's not a fact. And so asking that tough question and bifurcating the difference between fact and feeling and then taking action accordingly. Next, you know, you ask yourself, what evidence do I have for this thought? Where did this come from? What evidence do I have that it is real? And can I think of where it came from? Even a further thought, Jeff, is I don't have to do anything with every thought that I have. I don't have to take, and and it's natural for us to have a thought come in our mind. And I've really worked hard to discipline myself to say, you know what, thought? You, I'm going to let go. just going to let it go. I'm not going to process it. I'm not going to turn it upside down and look it around. I really don't need to do anything with that thought. I could let it go. That's the hardest thing for me to do. As an active thinker, as a guy with anxiety, diagnosed anxiety, that's hard for me to do. But man, it's, it's healthy for me to do it. And so understanding sometime where that thought comes from, if it's fear or insecurity, then you, can, you could address it differently. And then finally, you know, maybe a, a final question you can ask yourself is, you know, is there any chance that I'm misinterpreting any of the thoughts that I'm having? I mean, Misinterpreting the evidence that I have that these thoughts are real. And it's just, again, my feelings that I'm having them. It's not fact and there's not evidence to support them. And so I think for me, that really works well when I go through that cognitive restructuring and those questions. And I can recite them to you because I've recited them in my own head thousands of times.
0: That's yeah, great. Very, very helpful. And, you know, we teach a lot around here, this idea that human beings biologically, we, and why we were designed this way, I'm still not certain. It'll be one of my questions when I get up there one day. Uh, we're, we're wired biologically for self-preservation. And in the brain is constantly, you know, looking for risk and threats. And until it feels safe, it's not open to something else. And, and, and when we go through trauma, we go through events that are, that are difficult, it, it, it's so natural to draw inward because your brain goes in a full-on protectionistic mode. And so every thought you have, and every process that you're going through mentally is about yourself, your own security, your own safety, your own what's next, your own all of this. And we can get so mired in that. One, one time I had a, 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 a neuropsychologist tell me, you know, one of the quickest ways to help overcome the negative thinking is to ask yourself, who did I actually help today? And how did I help them? You can't think about yourself and think about someone else at the same time. And and what you're saying is, is yeah, yeah, that's great, Jeff, but if you can't figure out a way to process how you're feeling in the moment, you just possibly can't possibly get out of your own way to even help someone else. I think I like the idea of being able to process how you're feeling and determining fact over feeling, feeling over fact, processing it, reorganizing it. But then what are you doing? to get out of your own way to go if, because if, if you're helping somebody else, it's really hard to stay kind of mired in your own, you know, I don't want to say self pity because it's not the right phrase, but you can get mired and stuck in your own feelings, right? And you're doing nothing but staying mired and stuck in your own feelings. Now you're talking to so some, I'm someone who does not have anxiety. My wife does, I do not. So I can't even relate sometimes to those feelings. Um, I can relate though, to this getting caught in my own, that, that cycle of, you know, thinking and feeling death. But I recognized pretty quickly that, man, that's, I just spent 15 minutes thinking all about me. <laughs> so did you find yourself during some of those times and would you encourage others to think, of, like it, there had to be moments when you really put yourself in Susan's shoes. And I bet you, you were a heck of a lot more productive with resilience when you were helping her, working through her thoughts and feelings than even when you were doing it for yourself. Did you find that there was a, a difference when you processed it through her lens versus your own?
1: Absolutely, there is. And and sometimes as a couple, your lenses get blurred, right? Yeah. We don't know if, am I thinking this because she's feeling it and then now I'm feeling it and I wasn't even feeling it before, but now it's been introduced to me. And most likely that worked in the reverse to her where it was more harmful to her because the way that I think, and she does not have anxiety. But, you know, there's something really valuable in post-traumatic growth, right, that you know, how do we take loss and how do we grow from it? What do we do post-trauma? And none of us are exempt from that. And so I, I like your comments, Jeff, that you're saying about, you know, focusing on other people. One of the chapters in the book is entitled, Why Not Us? People kept saying, oh, you have to be, you know, so frustrated and keep saying, why me? And genuinely, I mean, I'm not saying this I'm not special in a lot of ways. Um, And so it's not about saying I'm this great guy, but it never crossed my mind. Why us? Um, Why me? Because I watch the news. I read the paper. I mean, awful things are happening every day all over the world. Far worse than what I've experienced. You look at, you know, starving children in other countries. I mean, so many things. It, It just never crossed my mind to say, you know, why me? And so what did cross my mind was a determination that at 28 years old, I did not wanna go through life with a cynical mindset, with negativity, with anger and resentment that I let bleed into my marriage, into my career, into my friendships, That seemed really, really dark to me. And again, this is where anxiety can be helpful because I would have the thought that sitting at my kid's grave, maybe this isn't the bottom. Maybe it gets worse from here, right? And so that's what an anxious mind would do, right? Oh, my goodness. And and so then that challenged me to say, oh, no, this is the bottom. And it's going to be a softer bottom because there's blessings in this. There is beauty. The, the moments that we share, the time that we shared with them, it was magical. We were happy the entire time that they were alive. Somehow, um, you know, the, the grace of God, we were carried. That's the footprints in the sand, which is another chapter of the book. Uh, you know, we were carried through that time and we were the happiest people um, holding our babies. And so I got that experience, Jeff, and you didn't. And, and I can tell you that I'm a different man, a more feeling man because of it. Not that I would wish that experience for you, right. um, but I had it, so what am I gonna do with it? And, and I'm gonna be thankful uh, because I loved our three kids that came later, the next three, maybe more intensely than another dad might've, or than I might've because I know how fleeting life is. And, and with that, also, I'm a little bit of a control freak with that comes (laughs) some control, right? Now I feel empowered. Um, I can stand up now. I can get out of bed with those, those thoughts. Um, And those are just choices, right. That we make back to my dad saying, he hated making bad choices. And, It would, to me, would be a bad choice to stay angry.
0: Well, at the the risk of, and the audience knows I do have a tendency toward cheesy metaphors, but at at the risk of another one, what I hear you saying is the path to purpose is an on-ramp called perspective. If you really want to live in purpose, you've got to really lean into perspective because it's the perspective in any given moment that you take that frames the thoughts that you have around what you're dealing with. And if you can reframe those thoughts and have the perspective of what it needs, almost the outside view of what you're looking at against the backdrop of the broken world we live in, it'll really put you right back on the path of purpose. And I think so many people have a hard time with that. Naturally, it makes sense why people have a hard time with that, right? It takes work to be able to to go to do that mental exercise, whether it's a small thing or a really big thing that you've gone through. So what? T- tell, as we kind of wrap up a little bit here, I know we didn't get any of the business uh, application of this. G- give us a little bit of... Uh, Of a teaser on what we can learn from the book. If I'm a a leader in business today, an entrepreneur, uh, what are some of the practical applications that the book actually has in it for those that are in the workforce and how they can help lead their teams better or their businesses better?
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the great things that came um, out of Nicholas Miriam Peters' death is I assessed my culture in my company. And, you know, I was a young president running a family business. My dad uh, got cancer and had to stop working. And so I was in charge. I was president at 28, and it was a nice-sized company, um, you know, probably doing you know 40 million dollars in revenue, about 75 employees. And I realized that my mind—I can't go back to work. Um, I, I'm so damaged myself, and to go into a culture of negativity with people pointing the finger at each other, blaming each other, finding joy. Um, in the failure of other departments and you know if you've ever been in a sales and service industry you know the service team can get really fr- frustrated with sales because sales over promises sales gets frustrated with service because they under deliver you know there's these natural tendency tendencies that happen in business and our company was thriving on those and it was wrong and under on my watch under my leadership i was allowing that and i was allowing a culture that found some pleasure in other people's failure because there could be blame pointed there.
0: Mm. All
1: the while, our customer suffers. And we were in the recreation industry. So we were about providing fun for families and family time together and and joy. And, And what I realized is that I didn't employ actors. So they couldn't be working in a negative culture. And then when the customer comes in front of them, turn a switch and be this amazing Customer service representative or salesperson or service technician, and have their mind and heart fully involved in doing the repair or offering the service. And they're not actors, right? They're business people. And I needed to control that culture. More importantly, Jeff, and this is where I get really passionate about this, is that I understood through my darkness at home that my employees may have equally tough situations at home and equal darkness. And while they're at their place of employment, earning their income for eight to 10 hours a day, I have responsibility in when they leave and they go home to be their real role, mother, father, sister, brother, grandfather, grandmother, caregiver, friend, whatever their role is when they leave work. I had an imprint on them in the culture that I allowed or sustained or created. And so for me, I recognize that if, to my team, and and this went on uh, throughout my career and still today, if you're gonna sign up to be a supervisor, a manager, a director, a vice president, a president, you're saying, I care about the people that report to me. I care about their future. I care about their happiness. I care about their successes. And it's part of my role as their leader to ensure that they have more successes. And oh, by the way, the good thing that happens when you lead that way, is good things happen to you as well. Who would have thought? But so many leaders today, that's right, who would think that as something so good as that can happen? But so many leaders today are so worried, and I've seen this in corporate America and big companies, they're so worried about climbing that ladder and stepping on backs to get up there that they, they miss the opportunity to see when they're lifting others up around them that all that boat rises. If they're the natural leader already and they're, that boat's rising, they're going to go up with it. And so many people miss that. And so I talk about that in the book. I talk about the change culture that I instituted for survival, for my own survival at the time. And again, like I said, another blessing of what that experience was because it shaped me. At that time, I never thought I'd be doing anything other than running my family business and never imagined having 10,000 employees and, and being a top leader in a multi billion dollar company. Uh, but that was my future. And that was what was coming. And I think that I had success there because people did know my heart.
0: Uh, what a tremendous journey. And for all of us, the lessons that we're going to learn from, from this book, from your life story, and you're willing to be vulnerable and share it. Uh, thank you for doing that. Can you, can you tell people the book is out? now. And so tell people where we can get the book. I'm sure we can get it all the normal places. I know if you're if you're listening to this episode through our website, just click on the image of the book and it'll take you. But tell us where we can get uh, the book and where we can learn more about the work you're doing today and how we can book you as a potential speaker to one of our events coming up.
1: Awesome, Jeff. Thank you for that opportunity. So the book is available, of course, on Amazon. Uh, it's a, a available at any of the large bookstores out there um, to order the book. And uh, we will have a audio book out as well. There's a uh, digital book available as well. And so all that can be bought online. Uh, My website is www.encourage33.com. Again, Encourage is the name of my company. 33 is just a really special number uh, for my family, um, special number for uh, Christ as well if if you recall um and so there's a lot of meaning in that number for us and so i i'm, I'm hope, hopeful and i'd be honored uh for the listeners to 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 read the book and and see that this isn't a story really about infertility it's a story about resilience and it can be applicable in all phases of challenges that we go through in life. And again, uh special thanks to Dr. Fordyce for what she has done um, in creating just a psychological roadmap at the end of the book of, of how to walk through um, in faith and hope uh, for living a life that can be hard and it will be, but, but we're going to be okay.
0: That's, that's, tremendous thank you and just as a reminder to the group it's called life is hard but i'll be okay the power of hope emerging through pain and learning to live with gratitude it's not just a book about trauma it's a book about taking all of these concepts we talked about today and then putting them into a daily practice in your life Uh, johnny i love the work you're doing i feel like i wanted to make sure we dedicated the majority of this episode to you your story in the book. But For the listeners out there, I mean, I we got to have him back. He's involved, obviously, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I want to hear a little bit more about the uh, the, how your your founding partner and advisor and with musician Bob Dylan's Heaven's Door. I mean, you got so much going on. We didn't even start. We didn't even scratch the surface in all things Johnny Soprilla. So we got to have you back for another episode if you're willing to do it.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. I'm I'm living my dream right now. Uh, I was blessed uh, to step away and retire from. Uh, what I knew my career to be at the age of 50. And I thought I was finally old enough and qualified to follow my own passions and dreams uh, because I was a dutiful son that went into the family business. And at 50, I got to repurpose myself and reimagine uh, what I wanted to do. And and so what Encourage is all about is I have uh, four divisions inside Encourage. Uh, There's Encourage Healthy Living. So any products that are... um, meant to make you better in the med tech space, a um, so concussion therapy uh, that's just coming out of uh, medical trials, some really exciting work there, all that's uh, clear in the on the website. There's encouraged leadership, which is the board work I do, public company board, private company boards, uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I've done a lot of charitable uh, board work um, over the years as well. Um, Working um, on the board and executive committee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame is just really an honor of a lifetime to be surrounded by people that celebrate excellence uh, and and honor the heroes of the game of football. So uh, that's a real pleasure. Um, I have Encourage Investments, which is just a variety of different companies, encourages my own family office. So I'm self-funded and go out and invest in businesses that I think can drive meaningful change. And then I have Encourage Adoption. And that's just the opportunity for me to go out there and speak uh, on the beauty of adoption of the, the way that you change so many lives uh, through the power of adoption and, um, and that that's just a real goal of mine, and then the public speaking um, that to to companies, universities that all happens under the encouraged leadership brand as well, so I love the opportunity to share with
0: others that's. That's great. So everybody check out the book, go get the book, and then go to encourage33.com where you can hear and learn a lot more about what Johnny just talked about. And uh, man, I'm proud of you. I love the impacts you're having. And this now you're into the second chapter of your life. I know that uh, God's going to use you in a mighty way to impact people like me every day that are out there just trying to figure it out as we go along and we need each other. So thank you for being willing to lean into that, be vulnerable and share your story and your expertise uh, with the world.
1: Jeff, thank you so much. Thanks for the work that you're doing. Again, the podcast uh, venue—I just absolutely love it. I, I just soak up our drive time, um, sitting on a plane, whatever we're doing that we could just fill our brains uh, with good messages that you're putting out there, and and with the guests that you've had. So truly appreciate you. Appreciate the work that you're doing um, at Brain Trust, and you know it's been a lot of fun talking to you.
0: Uh, You're welcome back and we will make sure that you're back. So thanks again. And we'll see you next time on the Driving Change Podcast. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah.